This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Well, welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Josh Allen Dykstra. He's the CEO of Helios, and this episode is Work Minus Sucking. Hi, Josh. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Exciting to talk to you today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Josh Allen Dykstra. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a TEDx speaker. I'm an author, and I'm a CEO of a company called Helios, as you mentioned. Uh, we're on a mission to create a world where everyone can love work. So that's, that's pretty much all I do. That's cool. So we said work minus sucking. So that may not be exactly what people would expect. Why don't you tell us why you picked this title? Yeah, I think I think this is you know, and this is the the subtitle of of my uh, the, the book that's out there currently is you know, designing an organization that doesn't suck, and uh, it's it's always fun to say, right? It's always fun to say, oh, you know, work sucks, and all, you know, but but really, what I'm talking about here is something much more literal. That that work as it is sucks the life out of just about everybody. Hmm. It it sucks the energy from people. It sucks the passion from people. Uh, it sucks the resources from the planet with with much you know thought to the contrary. So so business as it is does a lot of sucking and not a lot of giving. Yeah. And uh, so I, we need to get rid of the sucking. And organizations should be places that are life giving instead of life sucking for a whole host of of really good reasons. Well, let's start with the negative side. What is it about work that makes it so uninspiring, that makes it suck the life out of us? Yeah, and I, I think it's probably important to mention too, the just the kind of the, the size of this problem. The, the, the statistics are, are pretty pretty clear about this. There's, there's about 87% of us that aren't passionate about our work. And that number is so big, I think that we all, often don't even kind of uh, appreciate the largeness of it, you know, the, this idea that almost ninety percent of people don't really connect with the very thing they spend the majority of our lives doing, right? Almost ninety percent—it's crazy. But even even though that's true, <clears throat> I still don't think that it impacts us like it should, because yeah. I, I think humans have been taught for a long time. We've been kind of been we've been being taught this idea that work is actually supposed to be painful. You know, it's, it's supposed to hurt us. If it doesn't actually hurt, it isn't work. And, uh, I, I think that's, that's a, that's a big thing we need to come to terms with is that what if it's not supposed to be that way? Yeah. And what, what if it's, what if work actually isn't supposed to hurt you? What if it, what's actually supposed to be one of the best parts of your life instead of one of the things that you struggle the most with? Yeah. We've talked about even education on the show before and about how, you know, when kids are going through school, it's almost like parents are encouraging them. If you end up with something hard or you don't like it, yeah, school's not supposed to be fun. You're supposed to hate it because that teaches you that work is bad and you're going to hate your job later. So you may as well get used to hating things now. Yeah. And there's some tension there, right? There's some, some tension in this idea of, of, a, of a growth mindset, right? Where uh, we definitely do want to, to, to accept and to encourage challenges uh, because they develop grit and character and personality, and all that's all that's still true. So there's there's the, there is a bit of a tension here. Uh, but what we find though is that when we get into the workplace, if we really want great performance, we have to find our way into a, a different understanding about work because great performance actually looks a, a lot more like effortlessness than it looks like 
difficulty. So when you, when you see people in flow and in their zone doing exceptional things that, that, we, that most of us can't imagine that, that other humans can do these things, right? You think about athletes and Olympians and musicians and all the people that we, we love to watch, right? That are in, this, in their zone doing amazing things. There's a quality of effortlessness to it. They make it look easy. We know it's not. We know they, they work their tails off to get there, but there's an effortless quality to it. And this is the thing that we haven't really translated into the workplace is the sense of effortlessness in our work. We think work is hard and therefore it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> and it remains really, really hard. Yeah. And when you say hard, do you feel like it's, it's hard because it challenges our skills or because it doesn't and we're just kind of sitting there bored with what we're doing? Yeah, I think it's a little of both. I think it's I think it's a question of energy misalignment, personally, that, that there are certain things that bring me to life, that give me energy, that allow me to be in my state of flow and in my zone. And for the vast majority of us, we don't actually get to do many of those things at work. And therefore, work ends up feeling and looking really difficult. It feels like friction instead of flow. And so I, I think that there's that that's really kind of what's going on there. Yeah. Well, let me uh, push back on something that I hear a lot from other people is that, okay, you talk about 87% of us are not passionate about the work that we're doing right now. Well, okay, you know, there, it's going to be hard to get 100% of people passionate about what they're doing. Some people just need need money and they just need something to do. It is, is it even realistic to, to say, hey, everyone should be passionate, everyone at their best all the time? Yeah. So, so this is a question of, of kind of aspirations, you know, is it, <laughs> is it, uh, you know, should we not try to do something simply because it's difficult to do so? Right. Um, so the, the question for, for me really is more about what kind of world do we want to live in? Right. Do we, do we want to just kind of accept the fact that, that, uh, the thing that we spend the majority of our lives doing is sucking the life out of everybody. Is that the kind of world we want? Cause we can keep doing that. You know, then we'll, let's just keep going the way we are. We're doing that pretty well. But if we'd like to do something different, it's going to take a different perspective on what work is really for and what work is really about. And if we want a different kind of world, then we can, we can create one. Uh, I think there's another, there, there's another kind of um, question under this question too, which is about um, a misunderstanding that uh, if I don't like to do something, uh, nobody else likes to do it either, right? Mm -hmm. This uh, idea of, of crap work, right? That there's some crap work that nobody's going to want to do. And, and this is actually a, a really insidious myth because the, the more that we believe that there's crap work out there that nobody is going to want to do, what we're doing is we're undignifying certain kinds of work. We say, oh, no, no, that, that, that kind of work, you know, that, that's just crap work. Nobody's going to want to do that. And then what happens is that if someone really wants to do it and someone actually would feel energized by doing it, they don't feel like they should because it's been undignified by the population. And so what we, what we need to do is redignify all work that creates value for society, <laughs> value for other humans. Uh, any work that does that is dignified, good work, and somebody will be energized by doing it. We just need to find those people. And so there's this, this myth that because I don't like it, nobody else will like it. This is really deeply embedded in the psyche of, of us as humans. And we need to get over, we call it strengths bias, right? I'm biased towards the things that, that make me feel strong. Yeah. And the things that don't, I think nobody else will like them. 
And, and this is one of the things we work on uh, pretty immediately with, with clients and partners uh, to start to break down this, this myth. Yeah. Now, let me bring in another discussion I had with Byron Reese from GigaOM. He said he was talking about work minus monotony, that, that there are these jobs that, that really are terrible. There, there's some things that maybe humans just shouldn't be doing or they're a stand-in until we can figure out how to get a robot or some AI machine in there. What's your take on, on that side of things, that there, there maybe are good things? There's some drudgery manual work we don't do on farms anymore because we've outsourced all that to machines. Was that a good move or should we have just let people be happy with finding the people who are happy and let them do that? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question of kind of this, the aspirational nature of this. So, and, and I think it exposes some of the tension in here too, because, and it goes back to the question of the, the world we want, right? So if, if we, if we find jobs like that, then what would stop us from automating those things, right? So that's a question of, of human creativity. So I'm, I'm absolutely on board with, with that. I think uh, that we can use technology to keep replacing uh, those things that, that maybe humans don't want to do. Uh, and I think that we could reapply the human creativity uh, to do so. So I, I think that's a, I'd be a very, very good solution. Uh, so yeah, there are some you know, kind of dirty jobs out there. Let's, let's focus our, our attention and energy on automating those things. Um, and, uh, the, the bigger question though, is that for the vast majority of people that I, I work with, they aren't in dirty jobs, yeah. <laughs> right? They're in offices, <laughs> right? They're in cubicles. They're very posh lives in their, in, you know, uh, in their, in their workplaces. And so we're not talking about that for the vast majority of people, uh, at least that I'm talking to. Right. They are they are not in those situations and they still have this mindset that there are some jobs in their workplaces that are so terrible that no one will want to do them. And so that's my that's what I'm talking about with, with this with this conversation is we all of us, no matter where we are, we have this bias that there are some some crap jobs out there. And um, even in our offices, right, we, we disparage certain positions as less than and it, and it causes uh, a, a type of, of social inequality that's that's really not healthy. Can you give us some examples of uh, you know clients you've worked with? What are those jobs that tend to be devalued that, that people look down on? Like, hey, no one's going to want to do this anyway. Can you give us some examples of those? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really interesting because it, it varies com- you know a lot on the on the person themselves, right? So we all in our own little internal universe we have kind of a definition of what a crap job would be, and so for me it's all the stuff that I don't like to do, right? So I think, oh man, I hate I hate details, and so you know sitting in front of a spreadsheet all day just sounds like how could anyone want to do that? And what happens then is I actually don't uh, I don't kind of pass off some of these tasks to, to people who would actually enjoy working on spreadsheets because I don't believe those people exist. <laughs> they are there. I, I've met one or two. Yeah, yeah, they, they absolutely are. They're everywhere. Uh, but because I don't believe that they exist, I just keep flogging myself because I also believe that work is supposed to hurt me. And so it just keeps in, in this unending cycle of, of me hating my work or not, not really connecting or being in flow at my work because I'm hanging on to a bunch of stuff simply because I don't think other people will want to do it. And I believe that my work is supposed to be physically painful to me. And so it it just creates this ongoing cycle of me not being able to experience work as a joyful thing because I hang on to these things because I I think other people won't like to do that, which is a total myth. 
Yeah. Well, let's move on to some solutions you bring in. Uh, one of the things you talk about is that we need a new operating system for how we work, which we've, we've talked on, on some, with some previous guests as well. You have this interesting idea of an energy based OS, um, that needs to be there for how we work. So I want you to, to dive in deeper to that. What does that mean? Yeah. So quickly, I'd like to talk about the, the metaphor itself. Yeah. Go ahead. Just to make sure that people understand what I'm talking about. So, uh, many, many leaders, I think the, these days were talking more about company culture and that's great. You know, that, that topic wasn't even really on the radar a decade ago, but it's, I, I think it's still a deeply misunderstood topic because culture almost by its definition is really complex. So at Helios, we started recommending that leaders think about their culture, like the operating system of their business. So if you think about culture as the operating system of your business, Almost all of us have an interaction with an operating system, you know, at least once a year when we have to update our smartphone. Hmm. So we can understand that the operating system, the OS on our device, that, that's the thing that kind of dictates how everything works on my device, on my smartphone. This is a perfect metaphor for what culture actually is in an organization. It's the operating system that dictates how things happen. So the... The problem then is that the current operating system of work is, is built on really outdated technology. <laughs> so uh, many people listening to this will probably be familiar with you know, this, this guy, Frederick Winslow Taylor, you know, from back 1911, Principles of Scientific Management. Uh, what many people I don't think realize is, is exactly what he did when he applied science to management is what he's doing in that moment. He's creating technology. The very definition of technology is to apply science to industry. So the question then is, what was Taylor's technological contribution, so to speak? And the somewhat simplified answer to that is managers. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, Taylor's assumptions, most people are dumb and lazy. So we need to find a few smart and motivated people to tell, what the, tell the dumb and lazies what to do. <laughs> and his technological answer to that, so to speak, is managers. We need this, the, the few smart and motivated to tell the dumb and lazy people what to do. And, and that technology of manager is the key to, to the whole system. And this technology has been absurdly resilient. You know, there's, there's studies now where we're, we're showing that we're losing $3 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars of economic output in the U.S. alone due to excess layers of managers. And and we, the data also shows we keep hiring more managers than any other role. So we're going in the wrong direction here. But so the operating system, you know, any workplace operating system that utilizes managers is actually it's completely out of date, and it's destined for system failure. Basically, the, this technology is just too slow, it's too unreliable, and, and frankly, it's too insulting to work anymore. So we need a different operating system. Uh, and an energy-based operating system is something that's, that's different entirely because the, the current system that's based in the world of managers kind of lives, it kind of centers around a kernel of fear, right? So the whole reason, why do we need a manager? Well, I'm afraid that, that people are too dumb to know what to do. And I'm afraid that even if they did know what to do, they're not going to do it. So we need someone to, to make sure that they're going to do what they're supposed to do. And I'm, af because I'm afraid that if, if I don't have someone doing that, then things aren't going to get done. Contrast that with an energy-based operating system where the, the whole, the whole system is designed to do one thing. 
which is maximize the energy of each individual person. So this is why we get back to that. We need to get rid of the sucking, right? It needs the system should be giving life and energy to each individual person. And so if you can imagine a workplace where every process, every meeting, every task that you do is, is intentionally designed to help you be your most energized, focused, attentive, best self. The whole system is designed to help you do more of that. That's what an energy-based operating system is. Okay, it sounds awesome, but I need some specifics. Like, what does that look like to, to be energized by your work, by uh, tasks, by meetings? What are some specifics you can give? Yeah, totally. So, uh, first of all, uh, the, the first part of this journey is to understand what the heck energizes you in the first place. Uh, most of us don't actually have much of what we call energy intelligence. We don't know what gives us energy and what sucks it out in a, in a specific replicatable way at work, right? Most of us can speak to energies like, oh, you, you know, you ask people, oh, what, what gives you energy? Oh, well, you're hanging out with my kids or you know, laying on the beach or, right? But you don't spend, most of us, you know, chances are, uh, if you're like me, you don't spend your work day hanging out with your kids or laying on a beach, right? Like that's, that's not reality for most of us. So we need to be able to answer specifically, what are the things that, what are the tasks at work that actually give me energy? that help me stay focused and attentive to what I'm doing. So that, that's the first part of this, is it's, a, it's an inner journey of energy intelligence. Um, so that's the, that's the first part of being able to create an energy-based operating system. And then <clears throat> what the, every, everything else is, is kind of revolving around uh, taking a, a better, a, a different, a new look, let's say, <clears throat> at the current system and saying, what in our current policies, our, our procedures, our meetings, what kinds of things are, are sucking the life out of people, right? So at the, at the core, this, this idea is not, it's not complex. So I, I don't want to overcomplicate this. What, what, it, what needs to happen is we need leaders to say, to, to start to hold space inside the organization to have different kinds of conversations. Uh, what this, everyone hates this meeting. Why are we doing it? Or why are we doing it this way? And when we look at things through the lens of if this, if this, whatever it is, is giving people energy or not, we have a very kind of easy filter to be able to start to, <laughs> to create better solutions. And we can ask better questions about the things that we're actually doing. But it does require us to step away from just doing the work, right? This is maybe the hardest part, is it requires us to step out of just doing more right? This is, this is the default path of work. We just do more and more and we push harder and we power through if something's not working and we just work longer hours and we sleep less. In, instead of that, this requires a step back to say, is the way we're working actually working? And, and more often than not, we'll find that the way that we're doing something is, is draining people's energy. It's full of friction instead of flow. So you've introduced another tension here between you were talking about a, an energy-based OAS for an entire organization, an entire team, uh, but then also we need to look at the individual level. So how do we merge those two? If I say, you know, I get a lot of energy from uh, from meetings and being together and being collaborative with people, but somebody else says, look, I, I want as little human interaction as possible. Just let me interact with my work. Just let me get my job done. And I'm I'm thrilled with that. How do you merge those two within one culture? Well, there's a, there's a place for both of those things. Right? There's There's a place for 
uh, people of all different can we need all different kinds of strengths and energizers inside an organization to get all the things done that need to get done so there's a place for both of those the the challenge really is is leaders creating a safe enough space for both of those things to coexist and enough kind of guardrails to help people know how to interact with each other uh, not not in spite of their differences but because they need each other's differences. So one of the frameworks that we talk a lot about is, is this ten, this kind of uh, another tension between me and we, which I think is exactly what you're speaking to, is that there's, there's the me, there's the individual differentiated me, and that I need to understand what, what brings me energy and helps me be at my best, my best, most focused self at work. And there's a we element to this, right? There's that we also, we can't just be differentiated. We also need to be integrated. Uh, we need to be able to play nicely with others, right? There, none of us work in a vacuum. Like that. <laughs> it, doesn't, it, it doesn't work like that. We need to be able to work with others. So there's always this tension between me and we and making sure that your, your, your workplace operating system is properly attending to both is part of what makes this work. So you, you really do need both of those things. Well, Josh, how about you You tell us a little bit, once one thing you do differently at Helios that other companies probably don't do that reflects this uh, energy-based consciousness? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say a big part of it is to continually practice the, the awareness of our own energy intelligence. And this is also where, where the me and the we start to connect because through really simple practices. So uh, what we do is you know, in, our, in our weekly kind of team check-in, we take five or 10 minutes and we set aside uh, some space. So again, this is about a leader creating the space to have a different kind of conversation. And so we set aside some, some time for conversation around energy intelligence. And we just talk about, hey, what are you noticing about what, what gives you energy and what doesn't? What should your colleagues know about when you're feeling like you're at your best or when you're feeling drained? Uh, and so just by opening a space for this conversation, um, what it does is it starts to rewire the way that we're working together. This is one of the principles uh, of a field of study called appreciative inquiry, that the, the inquiry, the questions we ask are in and of themselves, uh, those are their interventions, right? The, the questions we ask are tools to actually make things different because we ask a different kind of question, we get a different kind of answer. And so when we ask a question like, hey, what are you learning about your energy intelligence? It opens up a learning space for us to be able to learn uh, not just about each other. I learn about my colleagues and what when they're at their best and how I can help them be there more often. But I also start to learn about me. What we also know about humans is that we learn about ourselves when other people share what they're learning about themselves. And so just through this really simple practice, uh, we start to kind of rewire uh, the the very uh, the very operating system of our workplace because what what is work if not dialogue so that this idea has, has been been around for for a while but this idea that dialogue is the fundamental unit of work like our, our work happens in language in conversation in dialogue this is this is how work happens when we move into kind of taking it outside of the me space into the we space, right? It's through conversation, it's words, it's dialogue, it's language. And so the more we start to replace that language with, with language that speaks to what gives people energy and how they can do more of those things, we are 
dramatically altering the way that people can work with each other. Nice. Uh, I, I really like the way you can bring those in. Like you said, making space for people. I think that's a, a big thing. And, and understanding the people you're working with, people who are leading teams need to know the things that encourage others and have those dialogues. It's great. Uh, Josh, this has been fantastic to talk with you. Where can people go to stay in touch with you and see what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So the Helios site is at helios.work. So they can go check us out there. We're on a bunch of social media channels. And the handle there is at the Helios tribe. So you can find us there. And if you want to just learn more about me and my work or watch the TED Talk, you can go to joshallen.com. It's uh, J-O-S-H-A-L-L-A-N.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. We look forward to interacting with you more. Thank you so much. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace. 